It's been a couple of weeks. We've had some trouble getting together. Uh, some vacations. Last night we tried to record, but I was stuck in the upside down. <laughs> um, it's, it's the dog days of summer, so uh, you know what that means. If you're Nick, it's time to boot up a dynasty draft before we uh, draft football. Isn't that right, Nick? <laughs> yeah, well, it's like an entry draft, man. It's I a- know. I'm giving you shit. But I am glad that Keith ate your lunch on uh, on on that pick. <laughs> yeah, and I tried to just- trade for the pick earlier today, too. And he played all and coy knew- like he didn't know what he was going to do. He knew what he was well, going to do. I didn't. No, I straight up didn't. And I'll be honest. So what happened was is I, I think I realized kind of when you said that you were going to – you, what you told me was the guy that you want it at the guy that you want in the first round is probably still going to be there at three. So I was like, all right, so it's not Beniers, it's not like you know, it's not Eckland. And then I just went and I was like, well, I'm going to check his fucking article. <laughs> and I saw I saw that line and I was like, oh, it's definitely Johnson. And I full well knew when I picked it, but uh, I didn't know when we were having that conversation. To be completely honest. All right, fair enough. Good pick. Good pick. <laughs> that's the uh, that's the play. We're just going to use Nick's content and uh, <laughs> steal it for our choices. I hope that we can do it while recording uh, at some point here <laughs> during this show. Um, but yeah, we're we're back. It's exciting to be back. We uh, have some stuff to to go through. We kind of last chatted after the draft when we had Tony Ferrari on and uh, then it was into uh, free agency and um, oh wait wait PS big congrats to our boy Tony on on his new gig getting hired at the hockey news and at SI now that's that's huge so congrats buddy it's yeah. a big it's a big move that's right yeah exciting very exciting congrats to Tony um so yeah we um have a bit to talk about you know there there was no huge move I, I guess we didn't feel compelled to 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 do an emergency pod or anything like that so so feel like we've kind of just uh chilled out a little bit i got some vacation time coming up keith you you enjoyed a little bit recently and, mm-hmm. and uh it's it's that time of the year but it's time to boot up the content machine again um so, it, like I say, it's been it's been quiet lately. Um, you know, kind of since that initial rush of free agency. But I guess kind of the the big story with the Leafs the last few days, and not even really the Leafs, uh, more so the Marlies. Uh, Dusty Emu is a goaltending coach who has worked with Jack Campbell in the past. Um, we may or may not have mentioned him on the pod previously. I know that there were some interesting comments made to the Athletic and a profile um, previously. And I, I remember thinking at the time, geez, you know, maybe this guy gets hired by the Leafs in some capacity. Seems like, you know, he's got some interesting thoughts about uh, the way the position works, etc. On Sunday, the Marlies announced that he had been hired as the team's goalie coach. On Tuesday evening, the Marlies released a statement from <laughs> Brendan Shanahan announcing that Emu would not be joining the club. Uh, and I quote, we made a mistake by not thoroughly following our organizational protocols when considering the candidate for the position of goaltending coach for the Marlies. Uh, so what happened in the interim here? Um, I mean, like I said, I thought that he had some interesting thoughts on the way that uh, goaltending is approached. Um, not so interested in his thoughts beyond that. Uh, uh, basically, Dusty Emu had a history of liking a bunch of just the most brain rotted alt-right content uh out there on his twitter account uh which people picked up on pretty quickly uh he got called out immediately the account was deleted um and you know pretty soon after that the 
uh, I mean, Marley's bite, essentially the Leafs, you know, this went up the chain to, to Brennan Shanahan, right to the top, basically, um, saying that, you know, they made a mistake. And I, I would like to point out that the Leafs didn't really apologize here. And and I, I feel like, you know, I don't want to get too far into kind of the weeds on this stuff, but um, there, there was a lot of just gross content on that. And one that specifically drives me nuts. And I mean, you guys know that I, I have kind of a, a a soft spot here um, with, with this particular issue is um, there was a lot of really anti-transgender stuff in there. And that is to me the most cowardly like thing going right now is to beat up on trans people, like just one of the most vulnerable communities out there. Uh, and especially over the last year or so, you know, since uh, the results of the election in the States, like it is, complete and utter just uh, like a power trip trying to rein in or limit the rights of transgender people in the states um, it's it's gross uh, what's what's happening and like it's it's to me you know anyone who engages in that stuff that I've ever seen online is so like doing it from behind you know uh, like uh, either like a an avatar and a you know private account or a or a you know a burner First or whatever name, bunch of numbers uh, that's right either that or they're doing it behind like just the most horse shit pile of like fake uh you know uh concern for women's sports or whatever thing they're pretending to care about so that they can hate on transgender people i i just it, it drives me nuts like that that's and, and you know what like if if you don't get it like if you don't understand you know what's kind of going on with transgender issues if, if you feel you you need to learn more that's fine like I, I feel like everyone is in that position at some point I certainly was but like I learned because I don't like to be like I, I I'm more than happy to be like ah TikTok what the fuck is that no thanks but when it comes to people and their rights and their you know, humanity, which is like what this comes down to this issue, like go and do, do some learning. If you don't know what's going on, if you, if you, you know, are uncomfortable, go and teach yourself some shit. Like it's, it's not that hard. You can go online and read all kinds of stuff. Uh, but you know, the, the people who engage in this kind of stuff, they, they choose to read other things online. And that's, you know, kind of what this boils down to. I mean, there are a lot of conversations that can kind of be spun off from what happened here with the Leafs and the Marlies, but I guess that's kind of the larger point for me is like this did damage to communities and and communities you know who cheer for the Leafs, and I I, I was a little disappointed that it was just a, we we made a mistake, and especially from a, an organization that um you know they, that professes to like prioritize this kind of thing we've talked about in the past like you know they they've made strong moves on this front they've brought in a guy in free agency we're going to talk about uh you know in curtis gabriel who is all about lgbtq plus rights and you know being like a, a more accepting and open-minded person and and you have um you know you bring someone in into this organization and i feel like it just it, it's you know, it is a mistake, but it, it, it's also like it, it kind of resets you back to ground zero in in a way for, you know, some of these communities. Like if you think about um, someone who may have been comfortable with with coming out 
and might have been working up to that in this organization that seemed like it was so positive and so accepting and welcoming. And then they, they kind of turn around and, and do this. And it's, you know, that's, I guess, what's disappointing to me. And I feel like it's, um, it, it deserves a little more than we made a mistake with, with no actual apology attached to it. Yeah, it, it, it was, it, it kind of like, you know, showed us that they weren't necessarily, you know, going to, going to kind of walk the walk, right? Like they've, they said a lot of the right things, you know, taking the pledge to get uncomfortable with Black Girl Hockey Club. And they've, you know, been one of the more kind of vocal, like I remember they had a post, uh, you know, about Black Lives Matter, about like, it's not just a, a, a moment, it's a movement and things like that. So that now, you know, it was disappointing uh, to, to see something like this. And then to your point, Kim, I, I think that, yeah, there was definitely, a, I, I do like that they kept it brief, like, hey, we fucked up. And, and we're going to fix it. But there was a missed opportunity to, you know, say something along those lines. Like we fully believe hockey is for everybody. This hire did not re- reflect our values, um, you know, and then say, you know, we made a mistake, but that there needed to be some sort of recognition of what happened, where they went wrong, why, why that was wrong and, and why they're not going to do that again. Because if I'm, you know, 95% of the people that I know and, you know, that follow hockey and follow the Leafs would read that and be like, what the fuck does that mean? Like, who's Dusty Emu and why are they firing him? Like, what, what, you know what I mean? There was no context to it. Yeah. And I would hate to think that that was by design to kind of sweep it under the rug. So it's like, you know, there needed to be a little bit more of, of kind of what they fucked up, not just that they fucked up. There needed to be some more context to it, I think. Yeah. And while it's, it's a good thing that they ultimately, Absolutely. Took steps to, you know, rectify the mistake. It's still a mistake that was made. And now we're all being met with this bullshit from internet trolls and alt-right wing nuts. Oh, oh, so now someone can be fired because he has different political views. It's like if hating on transgender people and infringing on other people's human rights is part of your political platform, you've got a bigger fucking problem than worrying about a goaltending coach getting fired by a minor league team. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it, it was a disgusting feeling when it all came out after the, the hiring was initially announced. And then all that stuff started coming out on Twitter to kind of show what kind of person Dusty Emu was and, uh, or is, and yeah, it, it was definitely discouraging. I, I can't imagine how discouraging it must have been for people in those communities who were actually affected and hurt by some of the things that Dusty Emu has supported. Yeah. Um, so let's let's talk about some Leaf stuff. Let's talk about some uh, uh, some free agency pickups. Um, you know, it was a fairly busy free agency period. I, I, it ended up being, I suppose, um, the first and arguably biggest uh, signing for the Leafs was Peter Morazic brought in to to fill that, uh, I guess, one B goalie spot uh, or whatever you want to call him. Um, could be more than that pretty quickly. Three years, three point eight million, and then uh, just kind of a host of forwards. Uh, Michael Bunting brought in for two years, nine hundred and fifty thousand per. Uh, centerman David Kampf uh, for two years and one point five million per season. Uh, Curtis Gabriel mentioned him. He got a one year deal for uh, league minimum seven hundred fifty. I think that's league minimum. Yeah. Um, Andre Kasha. Uh, in for one year at 1.25 and Nick Ritchie, two years 
and 2.5 per season. Um, so, I mean, th- this was kind of, I think, fairly reflective of what we were looking for as we previewed the, the free agency period. Um, maybe not exactly. Um, another guy that, that also signed after being acquired was uh, Brennan Manel, a defenseman who played in the KHL last season, right? So we'll yeah. see you know, what, what role they have for him planned, but uh, he was also a pickup. But um, yeah, an interesting free agency period. Obviously, a few left wingers that was going to be a target. Um, you know, Richie and Bunting, presumably they're going to get some run in the top nine. Um, what pickup was your favorite? Let's start with you, Keith. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's hard to pick a favorite out of this, but I think the one that's that's kind of the most intriguing, at least in terms of just we haven't seen a lot of them, right, is is Bunting. And and he was a guy that I had mentioned on the pod that we did with, with Rahaf, of, kind of with targets of, of who we were kind of, kind of thinking. I, I figured he was going to come cheap. I thought – I think we the Leafs got him cheaper than I thought he was going to come which he's alluded to, you know, in some of his, his availabilities is that he left money on the table from other options to come, to come home as a good Ontario boy. Um, but he's just, you know, he's a, he's a pain in the ass guy. He's going to bring a bit of that into the top six that, you know, there maybe hasn't really been a lot of, and we've talked about this kind of at length on the pod too, about guys like Simmons and, and what you can really affect in the game, you know, playing limited minutes. So if you're, if you're going to, you know, try to, to swing the style in a bit more of kind of an in your face, aggressive, hard to play against, uh, you know, tougher hockey team, you know, and not that bunting is going to come in and be like your prototypical power forward, but I think he's going to bring a little bit of jam and maybe even a little bit more jam than Hyman had in terms of, of that aspect. Um, he, he's a guy that like, I mean, what uh, he didn't, what did he play like 20 some games? Like, it's not like we have a ton to go off of here, but what he did play, he did really well. He obviously had an astronomically high unsustainable shooting percentage and and all that fun stuff. But the type now, Cam, you made a point about how uh, you watched some of his goals and they they didn't really seem like repeatable, which I understand, I get. He they, got he every like, bounce Mikheyev didn't this year. Exactly. Yeah. He got all of Ilya Mikheyev's bounces, but, but, to be fair, or at least to what I would think to that is they weren't high, high skilled goals. So he's cleaning up garbage. Like for the most part, I think there was a couple like shots that beat goalies, but for the most part, he's banging shit in. He's getting pucks in tight areas and, and, you know, top of the crease and and finding holes. He's going to get those opportunities playing in the Leafs top six. Like there's going to be loose pucks at the side of the net. There's going to be, you know, it's not like Zach Hyman had fucking incredible hands. Yeah. And um, he was a guy that had a, a high shooting percentage too, because of where yeah, he took most of his shots of where from. he's at. Yeah. Well, exactly. remember how many gimmies Hyman missed his first few seasons? Like it feels oh. like, you know, obviously the production went up quite a bit the last few, but I, I, I'm still haunted by some of those. Yeah. And, and that you could very well get that with Bunting. Like who the fuck knows what he's going to be, but it's just a cheap, option to replace Hyman, you know, and it could be by committee because maybe there's a bit of Richard uh, Richie there and maybe there's a bit of Kashe there and stuff too. But I I like the signing for, you know, for nine hundred and fifty, was it, or nine seventy five or nine twenty five. Whatever it was. Started with a nine. So I mean that's that's I like that signing from from a value standpoint. And it's just intriguing because 
kind of don't really know what we're going to get other than a guy that looks like he's going to work his bag off every night. Yeah. And he's he's not going to replace Zach Hyman, but he's a reasonable enough facsimile for what Hyman did with this lineup that he can kind of step into that role at least to some extent or the way he played in Arizona last year would lead you to believe that he could at least. If you look at it on a macro level too, like how many more games are the Leafs going to lose as a result of that trade-off? Like those two in a bubble, like it's not that big, especially for the cap hit. No, because again, it's all going to come down to the big guys. Uh, We've said it a hundred times and we'll say it a hundred more times. Yeah. I feel like um, between Bunting and Mikheyev, you've kind of, I mean, maybe again they average out their bounces this year but you've also got a couple of guys who like I feel are very similar to Hyman early in his career right like I mean he he built a hell of a lot on that foundation so I mean you you can't make the direct comparison but um, I I certainly like that for the price obviously if the Leafs Um, if the Leafs built Zach Hyman once they can build him again (laughs) I I, I believe that and to that point like that's something we talked about before was not signing Zach Hyman to the $5 million extension, but finding the next Zach Hyman while he's still yeah. a player that will provide excess value on what you're paying him. And this Leafs roster is going to need players to provide excess value on, on their contracts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, w- one of the guys that I'm most excited for, I think, is Andre Kasha. Um I really like the the Nick Ritchie signing as well, but for you know the price you get Kasha for, like he is an injury risk. Obviously, that's that's been the problem with him through his career. But guy's a hell of a player, and, and like just has a really unique um, skill set. Like I mean, you talk about guys who go hard. Um, the, he's one of them. So I, I think he also brings like a, a bit more skill than you would traditionally hope to get for that price point too, right? Like you're looking for guys like uh, I, I still feel that there is kind of a scoring issue possibly brewing with, you know, lower in the lineup. But if Kasha has a, a healthy season and, a you know, it's not even like a bounce back season. Like it's just he just has to stay healthy. It feels like that's kind of the the, yeah. the ticket. Like it, it's not even like he's, you know, he's always been pretty good when he's playing. Definitely the highest ceiling of the, of the pickups, I think. I, I think that was probably my favorite signing, too, just because of how good of a bet it is. There's not a lot of money tied up if he does end up on LTIR or whatever. But he could be such a huge payoff at that price point because he's he's a heck of a hockey player. It's just a matter of being able to avoid injury. And and with a history of head injuries, it's definitely something that could come into play. But if you can get a healthy Andre Kasha at $1.25 and he's still going to be a restricted free agent when this deal expires because he went unqualified by Boston uh, like Nick Ritchie did. Uh, so if he does manage to stay healthy and have a solid year, he's still under team control at the end of the year. So I think yeah. that was just a, a really smart bet. And it, overall, I, I think I liked the way that if you look at a lot of the contracts that were signed on the opening day of free agency, how many of those deals were ones that you would have liked to see the Leafs sign? I know we were all Benito. kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. fair enough. That's it. So that's literally it. Yeah. So like, I know we we're, a lot of us were kind of sitting around wringing our hands, waiting for the Leafs to do something. But when all is kind of, or when the dust is sort of settled here, I like no. the way that Dubas didn't, you know, overspend on the opening day. And he sort of waited for some things to fall in place and for guys to see how the market would play out and, 
you know, come to Toronto for that opportunity at maybe a little bit less money than what they thought they were going to get. Well, that was, uh, I don't know if you've read Myrtle's most recent kind of mailbag. I, um, I have it open ta- right now because I'm trying to find what he said about Kasha. Uh, yeah, what he talks, <laughs> Kasha, basically that couple of things were kind of like, you know, he, he left money on the table. You're, you're, you're kind of, you know, you're, you're, what we seem to hear quite a bit and then but it was mostly as like an audition thing like that's a selling point for the lease like hey yeah. you need to get you need to get your career back on track here's a one-year deal you're gonna play with Tavares or matthews or nylander or marner you're gonna have a fucking career year if you stay healthy and then you're gonna make bank somewhere else and or you know like that's that's a hell of like to me why wouldn't i do that over making two million in fucking wherever dallas or something yeah like i i i want to go play with the big guns under the spotlight be on the number one guy leading it on sports center every day that that matters and i like i hope and i know you know that that's what dubis is saying and and that's a brilliant way to do business because it's you know that that's a good way for guys to make money and it also talked about his relationship with conf i guess is right two guys from the czech republic that know each other and i guess are, are quite close so that that also factored in as well yeah and i think that was definitely a factor for bunting as well as much as it was all about the, his yeah. past relationship with sheldon keith and kyle dubas and the fact that he played in the sioux and grew up a leafs fan if you don't think that he's relishing the opportunity to go rack up a a bunch of points playing on one of the Leafs top two lines for the next two years and then cash in you're sadly mistaken and that is especially when you're a pest yeah loves a pest you know and as you said the the lights shine brighter in Toronto than anywhere else if you want to if there's anywhere that a middling winger can go and you know build up his resume and cash in on a, a bigger contract Toronto's the place yeah and um much like if you combine Mikheyev and Bunting, maybe you get average luck next season. If you combine Kasha and uh, Kampf, you get uh, a good contract value uh, <laughs> as a whole. <laughs> I, I don't want to like, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I can't say that I've seen a ton of David Kampf tape, but this was the one I think that everyone kind of scratched their heads a little bit over because um, he just he feels like a fourth line center. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, he, he's got some of that yeah, and at the point in time that they signed him too. We, we were still waiting for what cap space was left to be spent on, you know, maybe a bigger, more impactful winger. That's the point. I think that, I think that's the biggest reason about the conf blowback was that every single Leafs fan knew down to the fucking penny, how much cap space was left better than fucking me going to the bar in my first year of university and what was in my bank account. Like you, we knew what we had and it wasn't that much. And it was like uh 1.5 million for this guy. Like that's what I think, I think if there, you know, like would have been a little bit more in the tank and there wasn't really a, such a need for the bottom six centers. I think it might've like 1.5 in the grand scheme of things is not that much, but it, I think it was just at the point where they were like, okay, we got, three and a half million left and we got to do this, this and this and fucking then you get this guy that comes in. I think that's what drew the ire more than the player probably. Yeah, but apparently there was a, a lot of interest in comp around the league as well. Yeah. And he said that Toronto was the place that he decided to go because they seemed to want him the most and he was, some, or they, he was someone that they had been watching for a couple of years. And yeah, so – the fact that there was that much interest in him and the Leafs had to give him that $1.5 million, I think, kind of speaks to 
maybe the way he's valued around the league. So yeah. maybe the the RAPM charts that don't tell all after all. Yeah, I mean, he's obviously got some strong defensive impacts. And, and I, I do think that, you know, the quality of who you're on the ice with, that matters. And Chicago has been warm, hot ass for a few seasons <laughs> now. So, uh, like, I'm, I'm always willing to kind of give a guy a pass if he's defensive focused on a team that is not on a team that is struggling. Um, mightily on that front and, and yeah I'm, I'm you know interested to see how, how they can kind of insulate him and make him effective because you know Philip Deneau was a guy who it's like we talk about don't go and get Zach Hyman don't give Zach Hyman the big money go and get the next one well it is comp like the next Deneau type because Deneau you know I, I remember him in junior he was never supposed to be an offensive guy at all he was always going to be the, the shutdown guy who was not quite up to size but clearly a very smart hockey guy and you know just knew how to play the defensive side of the game um, and, and he's you know reached levels that I, I didn't expect and I don't expect him to live up to that contract in Los Angeles um, because he's just that's not his game. He's not going to produce for you, um, but he's a hell of a defensive player. And that's, I guess, the hope that Kampf can kind of come in and just he's he's that piece, right? Like he's not going to drive a line. He's not that traditional third line shutdown center. But, um, you know, maybe his role is a little more suited for what you were looking for than what you got out of Kerfoot in that role last season. Yeah, I think that that's that that's kind of one of the things I was thinking about is you watch, you know, if you're Dubas and you're watching the Montreal series and you're watching a guy like Deneau pretty much erase your top line and you know render them completely ineffective it's it's would be enticing to go out and try to find a guy like that and i went back and read a little bit um from kind of the beginning of the season uh in in like chicago beat writers and there was a quote that you know was i forget which the writer who the writer was now but basically that for call it in the conf was his security blanket he was the guy that he could throw out there and not have to worry and bury him in D zone starts and, and just kind of like, you know, he's, he's, um, you know, 45 seconds that he's on the ice that you don't have to worry about a mistake. And if you look at it under that lens of, you know, Keith having that option and he's been trying for that, like he's looked to put together a shutdown line since he started in Toronto and, and it hasn't necessarily worked out. Maybe it's an ingredient thing. So, I mean, if you look at it through that lens of, you know, what Deneau just did to the Leafs and and kind of a, a coach's security blanket, it makes sense at a million and a half. I think it was just, in at least my mind, the idea of finding a more offensive center in the bottom six that could help contribute to secondary scoring when a guy like Deneau wipes out Matthews and Marner. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm really intrigued by this one because I, I did, you know, have a little bit of an immediate pushback on it, but I do get horny for a Sammy Paulson type. Oh, baby. <laughs> It'd be nice if, I mean, Sammy Paulson was incredible, but just that style of guy who's just going to do nothing for you on offense. But you are like, it's it's like going into a gladiator uh, you know, battle. Every time you step on the ice against the guy, that's, you know, the Leafs could use something like that. So uh, we'll see. We'll see where he, um, how he fits in. And uh, like, it's, I just fear that if scoring is a problem in the bottom six, it's going to be, uh, what, how could we have, you know, changed that with that uh, in the middle of the ice uh, in the off season. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So obviously we haven't really touched on Mrazic yet. Uh, three years, three point eight million. Um, that was interesting to me right away because, you know, I don't like goaltenders. Period. <laughs> they're, they're just ah, it's just such a sketchy business. And mm-hmm. Mrazic's good. Um, so I I had the thought. Okay, is this setting the table for unless Jack Campbell has just that perfect sweet spot of a season where, you know, he doesn't perform too well so that he can go out and get a a nice free agency deal and he's not, you know, doesn't drop back off the face of the earth so that you're not really sure what he is anymore. Like, if he hits that sweet spot, maybe you can bring him back, but... This feels to me like Jack Campbell insurance and maybe Mrazic's the 1B this year, but... um, I, I mean, a three-year contract, that's notable because no one else got that from the Leafs. Yeah, but I think if you look around at the goaltending market and how that all played out, you can kind of see why the Leafs might have had to go the three-year route. I think they wanted – the team would have wanted to go at least two because, to your point, now they at least have an NHL goaltender under contract going into the 2022 season. Mm-hmm. Um if you look at some of the other contracts, like Linus Allmark getting $5 million a year f- over four years, the, even the contract that Grubauer got was pretty pricey, even though he, you know, he's at another level of goaltender. And Jonathan Bernier getting over $4 million from New Jersey. I think when you put it into perspective like that, the $3.8 million from Mrazic is a pretty, was a pretty good deal on the surface, at least. It, he's been inconsistent in the past, so... It's not exactly foolproof by any means, but I think given the options on the market and the, the way the rest of it played out, uh, I think Mrazic was a pretty good signing at 3.8 over three years. Yeah, I I love it personally. I mean, you've got now what? Like you've got two goalies that are making effectively what Anderson made. And now it's a ride the hot hand situation, which I've been kind of wanting for a while now. I, I think unless you have Connor Hellebuck or Andre Vasilevsky on your team, you kind of need a tandem. Like, there's just not that many legit stud year over year. You don't have to worry who's you know who's going to be a net each night in the NHL. And having two options that if one guy is not playing well, you have the other guy. That's I think you know, everybody kind of needs that insurance. And the fact that they total, you know, just under five and a half million or whatever it is, um, that's, that makes it even that much better because you could easily see a tandem of two quality goaltenders. You know, when you look at what Campbell did last year and what Mrazic has done in the past, that number is very affordable for what, what you could get. So I think at first when it happened, I was like, Whoa, like, cause I didn't think they were going to aim that high. I thought, somebody of the ilk of like Halak is kind of where we were going to end up. And, you know, I'm not that I preferred that. I think it was just more along the lines of like, okay, like I've got the CJ mystery player in my head. I've got bigger dreams about who's going to fill out the top six. So when 3.8 came in, it was like, Oh, that's a little bit more than I think I thought they were going to spend on goaltending. But when all is shaken out and you, you know, you see, what the kind of bargains that they got with Kasha and Richie and, and Bunting and, and the, maybe the more by committee approach that they're taking. I'm very kind of happy with, with how it shook out. Cause I think that whole idea of being able to ride the hot hand is, is kind of how I would like my team's goaltending to be set up. Yeah. And, and that was, you know, arguably 
kind of the biggest need that needed to be addressed coming into, um, you know, the, the free agency period. Um, so now that the dust has settled a bit, what, what holes do you see remaining in the lineup here? Like, I mean, we, we talked a little bit about the third line center. Um, well, I was beating that drum all year and I, I'm, I'm still beating that drum. I, I there, with the number of bodies that they brought in, like, it's tough to see how this all fits in. And there's guys that they're going to be putting on waivers at the end of camp. Keith alluded to it in an earlier conversation. It seems like there's got to be some kind of quantity for quality deal. And third line center would still be my target for that. Like if you could take a couple of forwards like Alex Kerfoot and an Ilya Mikheyev or Pierre Engvall or someone like that, and maybe add in a, another sweetener of a prospect or another pick to, to really bring in an impactful third-line center. I think that's still the most glaring hole on this roster. Yeah, I, I don't have anything really other to add to that. I think the team's pretty – I mean, again, we could get unrealistic and talk about, you know, like a stud left winger or something like that, but I don't think that that's reasonable. So, you know, working within the confines of what we have, that that's a doable, like, scenario to move out, you know – close to $5 million in salary and bring in a, a, a four or $5 million center is easy to do because I think what we've seen from Kerfoot is that he's at his best when he's on the wing. And I don't know if this team has room for a three and a half million dollar winger when there's that big of a need at center. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, maybe you want a little bit more depth at D where, you know, Lilligren's coming in as probably your, at best your seventh D you have Manel, I guess. Um, there's and, a couple other depth pickups. And but, Carol Dahlstrom. I mean, those guys yeah, exactly. can handle there. third pair minutes like in a pinch. In a pinch, exactly. And and that's you know probably it. Like I I can't really see much else of being it other than the third line center spot right now. Yeah. Yeah, there's not a lot in terms of holes, right? Like it feels like if anything, it would be yeah, maybe a, a salary dump type of move to try to free things up. And um, I feel like they go in with this more or less, and it's aggression all season. If if something shakes loose, and you can address you know specifically that third line center, or or maybe it is a winger that they bring in like a higher profile guy. I don't know, but um, I I think that that's gonna be the move. Like bank some cap space through the season, I guess, and, and, you know, try to swing big again at the deadline would be, be my play. I think with what, what you've got on the table right now. Yeah. Now that there's the precedent of those double retained deals, I know you got to pay a little bit more for them, but I'm fine with that. And you know, if that's, if that's what the route that they go again, where you get a, a six or $7 million player for, you know, for three or three or a little less, like that's, you got Yeah, they got They're going to have to do something like that, and I think to do that, you're right. They got to kind of accumulate along the way. But, but I think the overarching theme here is that this is still a pretty good fucking roster. Like, uh, yeah, we almost have gotten to the point where you like take for granted the the big four just because you know that's what we're the, mad at them. Yeah, we're mad at them. That's what the whole team is built around. They've just they've been here a while now. They're just ingrained into it. But like when you kind of take a step back and you maybe look around the league at some other lineups and then take a look at what the Leafs still have as their core. I mean, it's pretty good. Yeah. Austin Matthews and Mitch Mariner and John Tavares and William Nylander are, are pretty good. <laughs> yeah. It's disingenuous and hot takey to sit here and look at and like post pictures of the roster and be like, 
this team sucks. Like, no, then it, it objectively doesn't suck. It's a playoff team with their eyes closed, but there's just, there just wasn't that like excitement of, you know, this team fell flat on their face and we're just going to run the exact same team back. Like that's, I think, and I understand that, that kind of sentiment, but to say that the team isn't any good or, you know, I, I personally think it got a little better, not like remarkably so, but we, but we talked about like switching up that mix in the bottom six of maybe getting away from they the, did. Yeah. They got away from like the, like at least to some extent, they got away from the old slower veteran type and, and brought in some, you know, they went and got a, a few guys who were restricted free or set to be restricted free agents that didn't receive qualifying offers. So they're getting guys that they got a lot younger. Yeah. They got a lot younger uh, up front. And I think that was definitely a, a point of contention last year. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I think um, ultimately, like there was nothing that they were going to do over the last couple of weeks that was going to make us say, "Oh yeah, that team's better for sure." Like it, it, it just it really does all come down to what happens at the end of the season. We know that, but um, this is gonna be the hardest season of hockey that I've ever had to watch in my life. I think. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, they're yeah. damned if they do, damned if they don't, because they could walk all over the Atlantic Division next season, hypothetically, and no one will give a shit. No. Because it, it doesn't matter until they get to the playoffs. And on the other hand, if they totally throw up all over themselves in the regular season and are scraping to get into the playoffs, everyone's going to be laughing at them in that sense. So it, it, it's really all going to come down to, to what happens in April, May, and hopefully fucking June someday. Um, so, Keith, you, you touched on the double retained deals. I wanted to talk about like what, what would we do? What What is the move or a move that we might like to see to improve this roster as it stands right now. And there's one that I am itching for that is probably pie in the sky, but it is a double retained idea that I had that, you know, Tampa Bay, like they're a mess cap wise. I know that they, they got Seabrook. Um, so, I mean, outside of like saying, Oh, the Leafs should do that kind of move, which they probably should, but it's not like a sexy move that I want to talk about. So I'm not going to talk about it, but I think, um, you know, they're still going to have to probably ship out a, a decent salary or two, likely a Kalorn or a Palat. And those are guys who, I mean, you know, veteran experience, whatever, but they, they just, they're kind of perfect middle six wingers. They do a little bit of everything for you. They're veteran. You know, they've kind of, I can kind of spout the platitudes about experience and playoff success, et cetera, et cetera, whatever, but uh, really good players. And the only issue being, obviously, they're in Tampa. I can't imagine Tampa wanting to outfit the Leafs at this moment. So maybe you talk to, uh, Ron Francis, you say, Ronnie, we're sorry we screwed you over with the Penguins and you didn't get Kerfoot and McCann. Let's make it up to you. Let's uh, you go and, and snap one of these guys out of Tampa Bay. We'll reimburse you. We'll send you, let's say, Timothy Liljegren, another pick, maybe something else. You retain the the rest of the salary and we get uh, Palat or Kalorn for like a clean you know, I don't know, two, two and a half mil cap hit. Oh, I like it. You take that one, Keith. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, well, uh, I mean, yeah, like that. I a hundred percent. And that's they're going to have to get that creative if they're going to obviously land a player like that. I I, I mean, I'm, I'd be all for that. I, I doesn't necessarily, you know, scratch the itch of a third line center. But 
I mean, that's still a damn good acquisition for the hockey team and we'll figure it out after that. But I, I kind of thought about this and went through, you know, did some kind of searching on different, you know, just looking at some numbers, looking at some charts and doing the nerd thing. And I I didn't find like, I thought I was going to go on this little research trip here and be like, ah, there it is. There's the guy. There's the third line center. I couldn't find one. Like, and, and I'd be scratching around on, you know, lower in the results here and be like, okay, I'm, you know, going through the tops of the list and you're like, I'm born. Well, that guy's not available. That's never going to happen. That's never going to happen. Then all of a sudden you find yourself down the list and you're in names that are right there with Kerfoot and Kampf. So it's like, okay, well, is there even a point here? So like, it, it I struggled makes it to more find understandable a, a why, the why they haven't it. done it. Yeah, exactly what I walked away from that thinking. Like, well, at least there wasn't a glaring option that I was pissed off about Benino, notwithstanding that, like, you know, that they haven't swung for yet. And I, I know you've kind of got a couple of names, Nick, but like looking at, like, I know like uh Dvorak's a guy that gets kind of tossed around, but is he like your prototypical center? Like, I know he's played a lot of wing. I don't know. It, it, I obviously not similar to what I just said about you know Palat and Kalorn. Like obviously you want a guy like that on your team, but specifically talking like for positional need, um, I don't know. There's there's not that much out there. Yeah, I kind of I came away with the same kind of sentiment when I was looking for players of that ilk as well, and sort of like Cam's idea about Kalorn or Palat. Getting a guy like Christian Dvorak is a bit pie in the sky, too. I don't see why Arizona would be motivated to move him. He's a very good player. He's still young. He's under contract at a reasonable cap hit. Yeah. But uh, another player that is sort of also not your traditionally prototypical third-line center type, but a player who I think would be an upgrade on Alex Kerfoot, Dylan Strom, and he's kind of gone through the ringer a little bit in the early part of his career. It took him a little while longer to get to the NHL than some of the guys he was drafted around. He's coming off of a down year in Chicago, but he was really good in the two prior seasons, especially two years ago. He was close to a point a game. I think he had 50-plus points in like 58 games. He, he can really drive things offensively in the middle. And I think that that would maybe create more of an identity in the bottom six. Because as it stands right now, I think it's tough to discern what the third and fourth lines are, are going to be, assuming that Kerfoot is up in the top six playing on the wing. And I, I think if you brought in a player like Dylan Strom, you can peg him to run an offensively oriented third line. And not have to try and shoehorn David Kampf into that role. And considering the the year that he just had, and you know the the fact that he's sort of already bounced around a little bit in the young part of his career, I, I think that Strom is a player that could be a little bit more attainable than a, a Dvorak or Kalorn or Palat. Strom, Richie, Kasha, third line would be pretty gnarly. I would, I could, I could get down with yeah, that. Yeah, and, th- and that'd be great. And then you, you stuff David Kampf down onto the fourth line and let him just keep things quiet down there in, instead of asking too much out of him. Yeah, I like those options a lot. And the last kind of, uh, of, of, I guess, the bigger name signings, if that's what you want to call it, the guys who are going to be on the roster that we haven't talked about yet. Uh, Nick Ritchie was uh, one of those guys who you mentioned. Nick was not qualified. Um, you know, he, he, that, that was kind of a surprise for me. And that was, I was very excited to see him go to the market. And I was hoping that that one would, 
work out and um i'm I'm pretty happy with it i mean i I don't know a ton about the player i mean i know i know what kind of style he plays i don't really know what kind of uh, results he's been turning in of late but um i mean feels like you know something that you don't have a lot of like we've talked about you know uh, trying to replace some of that hymen um element a little bit and just yeah someone to be a bit of a dickhead i i I like it yeah we talked about this last year as well it was great to have wayne simmons down in the lower part of the lineup but they still kind of lacked that jam up top and if nick ritchie ends up playing in one of the top two lines which he probably and even if it's in a third line role it's just a little bit more of that grittiness and physicality higher in the lineup, which I think is something that they were lacking last year. And he's coming off of a career high 15 goals last season. So it is really interesting that Boston chose not to qualify him. They had other plans, obviously. Um, just another guy that's a really good bet at this point in his career for the, the contract that he commanded from the Leafs. That's the that's the only thing that gives me a bit of pause with him because I'm fired up for this signing too. Like I, I, you know, he's a he's a high end draft pick. Like he clearly had you know has a lot of talent that you know has been apparent for his entire career. And and you know it seems like you know he's starting to tap into the offensive side of his game. It it gives me the the, the reason I'm not like as thrilled as I I kind of want to be is this guy screams Boston Bruins hockey. And they let him go. So what? Why? Right? Like, I mean, he like what was was he really going to be too much money for their cap situation? But yet they go out and sign Felino. Like, I I don't know. Like, that's the only thing that kind of I've seen like rumblings from Bruins fans about just like invisible for yeah. large periods of the it kind of like a lazy uh narrative surrounding him yeah i think so, that, that the biggest knock on him has definitely been consistency and i think that's maybe why expectations should be a little bit tempered with the, the richie signing yeah. especially if you're thinking he's going to be like you know i talked about bunting being kind of a facsimile for what hyman does i don't think that richie's quite going to be that he's not like that dog on a bone sort of guy yeah to quite the yeah. same extent but uh it, yeah, it's definitely a bit of a red flag that Boston would just let him go like that. I think, but in the- just especially where he fits their identity so well, like it's just this seems like the type of guy. And obviously, they did covet him because they traded for him. So it's it's yeah, I don't know. Yeah. That's the only thing like it makes me a little concerned. But I'm still like that's still a guy that I like having in the, in the mix for the Leafs. And he's another guy that has history with Andre Kasha too. So yeah. you you could yeah. theoretically see a third line of. Richie, Kampf, and Kasha, and they would there would already be some familiarity there. So I think that was ki- yeah. kind of enticing for the Leafs as well. Yeah, he, he just kind of strikes me as a guy who's going to be a little more nailed to the third line, whereas um, Bunting, you can kind of see moving around the lineup. I, I don't know if how much of a run, like you said, Richie is going to get in that top six. I think he'll get some opportunity and, and maybe some power play time, but it kind of feels like, yeah, maybe at, at five on five, he, he's a, a little more stuck to the bottom six than, than a guy like, um, you know, bunting or certainly Kasha might be. So going to be interesting to see how they use him uh, on that note, though. It's going to be really interesting to see how this all shakes out once training camp finally does get underway. Cause there's a lot of bodies right now. So this was my immediate thought uh, after and as these moves were happening, and especially after they signed Curtis Gabriel, 
my thought was, where does Wayne Simmons fit in this forward group? Because it seemed like they had a spot for him, and then it seemed like they filled the spot in a couple of different ways, um, unless there's going to be some more moves to to unload some wingers. I'm having a hard time seeing where he kind of slots in here on a regular basis. See, that's the thing. Like I, 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 we just said like a third line of Kampf, Kasha, and Richie. Well, where the hell are Engvall and Mikheyev? Where are they going to play? Like if, if uh, well, Kerfoot- I, I hope Engvall's playing in Sweden or something. But-, <laughs> <laughs> but really, though, I mean, those are NHL forwards. So what? I mean, but you know, you're exactly right. They're, like Engvall is a guy that that played significant minutes for the Leafs last year, and Mikheyev has especially been, in the playoffs. Yeah, and Mikheyev has been entrenched in his role since he's come over, and all of a sudden, you know, you're trying to make the pieces fit when you're putting the lineup together. And you've got a guy like Pierre Engvall on the outside looking in, and he makes over a million dollars, but just the the nature of how many players that they have under contract right now, I think it's 18 forwards that are under contract with the Leafs who played at least one NHL game last season. I took a quick count. I might have missed one or two. So, but, but that's a lot of guys that, you know, played in the league last year. Yeah. Yeah, it does feel like something's coming. I don't know what that might be, but um, we'll see, I guess. I mean, it's it's going to be a much shorter turnaround than, than usual. Like, camp will be on us before we know it here. So um, who knows what, what this is going to look like. And, you know, I don't even know if they've figured out what's the deal with taxi squads. Are they going to do that? Or is that, you know, it's going to be um, interesting if maybe that's kind of part of the calculus too. Are they you know, making sure they have bodies. Well, to that point, it's, it could be something similar to the whole theory behind acquiring Jared McCann for the expansion draft. Like let's load up on these kind of depth forwards. We're going to have to pass a lot of them through waivers. You can't claim all of them and we'll take what's left. Could be. Um, all right. We're going to, I think wrap it up there. Um, we're going to record a little more for Patreon. Want to talk about this, uh, Amazon Prime series that apparently did not get just nuked the second that the Leafs were eliminated from the playoffs. They didn't burn the tape. They are going to release it. Um, So we got some news on that today. We'll talk about that in our Patreon episode. First wanted to mention the Women's World Hockey Championship is just about upon us. Finally, it's happening in Calgary. Uh, Not bitter at all about that. Um, Supposed to be in Halifax. Uh, kicks off August 20th. Canada plays Finland. Uh, roster's been announced. Uh, of course, a couple Nova Scotians there who, um, you know, w- were hoping to play this at home last spring and then this spring. And uh, it's been a bit of a mess, but they're at least finally going to get to play a Women's World Hockey Championship for the first time in a long time starting August 20th in Calgary. So um, make sure you tune in. Not much else going on. I'm probably going to be on vacation a good chunk of that. So i uh, going to have to uh, fire it up a little bit so we're going to wrap this one up um but before we go keith um you are playing a show this weekend um you know you're, you've been rehearsing here the last little bit I, i'm sure it feels good to i mean you guys have been playing a, a little bit right but no nah, man this is our first show is this since your first Febu- february uh pre-pandemic yeah. wow we've been we've been playing and recording and, and getting together and stuff but this is the first like show show for yeah, sure okay right so so you're back to it you're opening for Mays, matt Mays. which if if people are listening and are not familiar with matt Mays, gotta check him out 
Um, yeah. But you guys are playing, and it's like usually it would be like a big week long or weekend festival, right? But it, but it's been spaced out. COVID kind of screwed everything up. But but mm-hmm. um, you, you've you've been attending some of these shows. Like they've had some great uh, great lineups so yeah. far in yeah. in St. John, and and now you guys are part of it. Yeah, Area Five Hundred Six Festival in in St. John is typically the New Brent or the, the August long weekend. Is it a long weekend in Ontario? I don't know, but whatever, the, like the first long weekend of August there, the first weekend of August. Yeah. Um, and it, it's a civic holiday. Yeah, it's the, exactly. Yeah. So it, it's like a street, they, they lined it up like really strategically well with Oshaga. It's the same weekend. So they've been able to like poach bands that are in Montreal one night and like, Hey, hop over to the Maritimes for another night. So it's been a really successful festival. We played it in 2019 as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, this year, instead of doing the long weekend, like three night festival thing, they did it as a concert series. So they started in mid June, um, through or sorry mid july uh to mid june mid august sorry um so like a, a month's worth of shows every friday and saturday night and they've kind of paired uh local acts from st john and surrounding area to with uh with some of the headliners so there's been like your your usual suspects for maritime music joel plaskett matt mays um Bahamas recently moved to Halifax. Uh, so he's like an honorary maritimer now. Um, so he's, he was there, we had, you know, and then you get real into the weeds with Jimmy Rankin and Alan Doyle and all those guys. So it's, it's been fun. Um, that's the good shit, baby. The good shit. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I caught a video of, of, of Jimmy Rankin doing, uh, doing fucking the hell's the big song, uh, feel uh, the same way too, yeah, or whatever. People are just going too, ape yeah. shit there. Um, yeah, it's, so it's a it's a pod based East Coast anthem. Yeah, exactly. It's a like a, a pod system. So like you got these like squared off tables of six and ten that are kind of you have to kind of stay in your area and they bring drinks to you. But since we we've moved into like the green phase here in New Brunswick, so you don't have to wear a mask or anything, and it's become a little little more loosened up here. But uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited for it. We're playing. Saturday night with uh, Matt Mays and another local band, uh, Jamie Como and the Crooked Teeth, who we'll we'll spin in in a future episode here. They're they're a great band too. So um, pretty pretty excited for that. And we're gonna get to uh, another track. So first time playing the new stuff for for an audience, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, we've we've been right. We've been rewrote these songs that are on the newer record a while back. So played a few of them in the past but um definitely some some new shit uh which is good um but i think a song that we haven't played yet on the pod here so for more shameless self-promotion uh this song is called hard to find uh so if i don't think we've played it yet and if we have uh well here it is again uh but uh yeah backstays by the record find us where you find music 